together, huh? That was, that was, praise God. Hey, um, I have a, a few announcements, and then um, one I want to bring your attention to. By the way, I got the other DVDs in that are free for you guys to take. There's 50 more of them. I had 20 on last week. This is the video that we watched last week, and it takes kind of a scientific look um, at creation and um, uh, the, the beauty of the world around us and, and kind of um, brings God into the forefront of it. So um, if you didn't get one or you would like another, if, give a chance for those who may have not got one last week to go ahead and get one. And then if there's some extras, you guys can take, take them all, please, and hand them and pass them out. Um, somebody was asking um, if, we, if they wanted more, could they get them? And, and yeah, you can, the best thing to do is just go to the website, it's on the back, and you can order as many as you want. There's a discount if you order in bulk, but I think like the single disc price is like $5. Yeah. What was that? You, you, okay, so yeah, you got them for $5 a piece. You can get them down as much as two fifty, depending on your bulk order. But they're an awesome tool to, to, to put in people's hands who, who are, um, Maybe struggling with their with uh, you know their faith a little bit or those who um, you guys get it. So other thing is is the the Calvary Chapel magazine. The new Calvary Chapel magazine is out and uh, it's right outside the door on the missionary table there. And um, uh, it reminds me just so you guys will know. I'm gonna hopefully it's all right to share this, Ty Lori. But Austin, Ty and Lori's son, um, Austin. Is the reason why I mention that is because in this article, there's an article in here um, that deals with some of the refugees that are fleeing from ISIS in the in the Middle East, and uh, Ty and Lori's son uh, Austin Shepard has been accepted to go to Turkey in August to work with an organization that's going to be working with Christians who have fled Syria, right? In uh, uh, they're fleeing for their lives from ISIS, so. Um, even though there's an established organization there that's doing work, Turkey is not a Christian-friendly country, and neither is the region. So uh, praise God for Austin's heart to want to go and serve the Lord, but if you can just keep uh, him in prayer, and then also keep Ty and Lori as their, their parents' hearts are kind of torn. You know, like, Hooray, son, Ty was saying, but like, what the heck are you doing on the same side? So um, as any of us who would have children going into a situation like that. So please join with them to to keep Austin in prayer, and there's information in the, the Calvary Chapel magazine about some of the crisis situations there with the um, refugees. Also, uh, the, the men's breakfast is coming up this Saturday, May 21st. Please sign up for that. There's some of you who haven't signed up. Uh, we would like for all the guys to come. It's free. It's a time of fellowship, a time of being in God's Word and eating some food. Um, the, the men's ministry is going to prepare the food for us, and they do a good job. So just sign up so they know how much food to get 8 a.m. this Saturday. Also, the ladies' ministry night out here at the church, game night and other kinds of really cool girl things, I'm sure. Uh, May 20th at 7 p.m. Friday here, right? Yeah, you guys usually like do door prizes and all that kind of stuff. Are you doing that again? So I'm sure there'll be like Starbucks gift cards and and um, other things like that. Vicky's like, she likes to bribe people to come. And then women's ministry yard sale, we mentioned that that's coming up. There's also a sign-up sheet for volunteers there. Um, a few weeks ago, if you guys remember, I um, read to you an article from the Daily Record that 
was addressing some of the problems that we have in Canyon City with the um, with the use of drugs in our community um, and how since the legalization of marijuana um, other drugs like meth which have been a big part of our community for a while now and and heroin which is by far the the drug of choice so to speak among those who use drugs uh, uh, that has come to the forefront it's a real problem in our community and consequently there's tons of um, uh, problems that come along with that kind of lifestyle. I know firsthand, many of you know firsthand from your own experiences before the Lord that, yeah, there's all kinds of problems. And what our community is facing is from the article and what, what we all know is, is there's homelessness in our community. Um, it's not uncommon to see many people with signs begging for, for food and for help all throughout our town, just not on the corners of Walmart anymore, but all through town. And consequently, um, the kids who are innocent in this are being affected adversely. Uh, the school districts have problems with uh, dealing with kids who are homeless and how to, to care for them, and it's a whole unique situation. Um, and there's, there's certain organizations that are now in our school systems that work with those kids. Um, there are kids who are being just dropped off at places like a library and being left to themselves with, with uh, no assistance. There's, there, some of them are going hungry. And to some extreme situations, as our, our own chief police uh, addressed in that article, that with alongside these drug use and, and abuse things, that um, uh, there's a lot of sexual abuse that are being perpetrated against the children in our community. He made a comment. He said that if you put all of his detectives on just the sexual assault cases against children, he said they could not probably go through all of them in the next year, in, within a year's amount of time, if he put them all just on those cases, his detectives. And um, I prayed, uh, we've been praying about it, and I mentioned to you that, you know, it's, there's, it's not just a problem that needs to be left up to um, our social services, because they're not getting the job done. Um, it's because they don't have the answer, and the answer is Jesus Christ. And, and I, I told you that we as a church, we're going to be looking forward to doing something, and, and kind of what God's put on our heart and the reason I mentioned this to you is because we're going to be taking, I think, a step of faith. The, the board is, and elders are praying, and we have a meeting come up in the next couple of weeks to, to um, address some of these things and probably take some steps um, that are going to require some financial commitments on our fellowship. And what we're looking at doing is doing a, a, a community center for the youth. And it's, we've, we have the opportunity... Um, to, you know, the old New Horizons building downtown on Main Street between 3rd and 4th Street. It's about an 11,000, just under 11,000 square foot building um, that's been vacant and is for sale for 395000 and um, the, the, the but the gentleman will lease it for two grand. Well, we've called and made an offer. We said we'll give you 500 a month. And uh, we put the utilities in our name. And um, at first, you know, he was kind of hesitant to that. Um, uh, but the guy's a Christian. And make a long story short, he called back and he said, um, what we could do is we would do month to month, no lease. And then if I ever did sell it or lease it, then we, you guys would have to make arrangements either to meet the lease that is being offered or to purchase it or to move out within 30 days. And he said, I will go ahead and do that at $700 a month. So that's a pretty miraculous thing. So we're praying as leadership about what to do in that. And there's a vision to, to 
develop that space down there, not only for our own youth on Wednesdays nights because our junior high and high school kids are bursting at the seam. It would give them an opportunity to youth group down there. Um, uh, Young Life, Lauren from Young Life, does Monday nights now at another facility. He would be willing to move down there and do Young Life down there. And then we would be able to keep it open in the afternoons and the evenings to, to minister to the kids in the community and make it a place that's attractive to them by filling it full of like foosball and air hockey and pool tables and, and putting music in there and computers and TVs and video games and, and those kinds of things. And really what it is is it's a bridge for the church, us, to reach the kids. We're not going to gather them here, but we can gather the kids who are hurting in our community to a place like that and then get involved in their lives and tell them about Christ and give them the care and the love that they need. Um, so if you guys would be partnering in prayer that we as leadership have wisdom and how to go about that and praying for God's provision, there's an, it appears that God's opening the door and I think this is the vehicle that he would have us to begin to reach the, the youth in our community and take care of some of these, these, these problems that we have. And um, if you guys were going to need, it's not something that just one or two of us can do. It's going to have to be something that we as a fellowship get behind, not just only with our time and being willing to spend time down there when it's open, and, um, but also uh, financially. You know, it's going to be, there's an additional monthly commitment, there's the utilities, and there's the initial of trying to get this thing packed with cool stuff that kids will go, hey, did you hear what's downtown now? And do you see all the things that they got down there? You guys want to hang out there. That's what we want. We want to create a place and a safe environment where we can tell people about Jesus, but where the kids will go, I want to be there. And the bottom line is, is it takes money to do that. And God's blessed our fellowship, and you guys are generous, and so just pray about all of that. And, in the, and as I put that out before you, I want to have Ty, who's kind of been working with the landlord and negotiating the, the, the potential deal that we might enter to, I want to ask him to come on up. And um, uh, can you hit the mic for him, Debbie? This one here, and mute out the, yeah, and mute out the uh, reverb if you can get that. And I just want Ty to lead us all in prayer, just for God's will in this, God's provision in this, and and uh, Ty knows all about it, so he'll know what to pray. So, if you guys will bow your heads and um, join us in prayer. There you go. All right. Lord, we just come to you now. I just uh, thank you for this opportunity, Lord, and I I pray that you would give us wisdom as a fellowship, as leaders here, and uh, but more importantly, just as followers of you in what we can do to just raise up our youth in this community, the youth in our fellowship to build on their foundation, but to let them go out and uh, to just seek out the kids around them that they know that are hurting and that need you, Lord. And so so we don't know, Lord, but we know this. We want to be obedient to what you have for us. And so I just pray that we would do that, Lord, that you would speak to every individual here in some way and how they can be involved. Um, and Lord, I just pray that you would uh, just give us an abundance of wisdom. Thank you for the favor that you've already shown us and in uh, with meeting with Mr. Moore downtown and and uh, bless him and his family, Lord, bless his health as 
He is going through some health issues. I pray for him that you would just uh, uh, heal him, Lord. And uh, so just give us wisdom. Lord, we love you and we praise you. And we have a, a burden for the children here and for this community and, and uh, just where kids are headed these days. And so help us in that. Father, we love you and give you this all in your mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Ty. All right, guys, open up your Bible to the book of Genesis, chapter 2. Um, we're going to be back in uh, Genesis, chapter 2, and uh, we're going to be moving into chapter 3. And when we get into chapter 3, we're going to read about the redemption, or excuse me, uh, well, we'll read about the redemption later, but we're going to read about the temptation first, <laughs> the temptation and the fall of man. Um, but, but we really need to finish the end of chapter 2. Before we showed the video last week, we were in chapter 2, and we left seven verses um, that we didn't get to, um, where, where we read about God uh, creating the woman. And um, as we read through these verses, it's important to notice that the only thing that God did not declare as a good thing in relationship to the creation was the fact that man was alone. And all the men said, amen. <laughs> that there was, there, there was no helper comparable to him. And, and I'm glad that God looked down on the creation and saw that Adam was alone and said, I need to do something about this. And um, in these last verses of chapter 2, we see how God is the one. Now, the underlying message behind the act of creating woman and what she was created for and this awesome, wonderful gift is, is that we see behind all of this is we see how God is the one who provides for our needs. That's the message that's being conveyed to Adam and being conveyed to us this morning as by way of reminder. We know this, but we need to remember that God's the provider. He's the creator, he's the sustainer, and he's the provider. He's the provider for all of our needs. And, 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 and we see how this aspect of our relationship with God is designed to keep us near him. It's designed to keep us dependent on him. God had a, could, have, could have done it another way. He could have made it so that man could ultimately provide for himself in every aspect. God could have done that. But he didn't. He purposely set it up from the very beginning as demonstrated and illustrated here that when man has a need, that when we have a need, our only option truly is to go to God. Any other time we try to go about providing for the needs that we have in any other way is falling short of the perfect will of God for our lives. As we begin to look at this, if you'll, if you'll join with me by looking at verse 18. And in verse 18 of chapter 2, and it says as we pick back up here in our study through the book of Genesis, and the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. And so Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, to the, every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused, caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. And he slept. 
And he took one of his ribs and he closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib, which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, verse 24, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked and the man and the wife were not ashamed. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the time that we've had together here already this morning. The beautiful time of worship to be in your presence, to honor you, to praise you, to give you glory. Lord, to pray for the opportunity that you um, might be making for us, that you appear to be making for us to, to serve our community, to bridge that gap between the doors of the church and the lost and those who are hurting in our community. And Father, as we study your word this morning, God, I pray that we would not just be um, hearers of your word, but that we would be doers of your word. We pray, God, um, trusting and knowing that you know where each one of us are at in our lives, that you know each burden and each problem and each situation that we face, even before we're even aware of them, and that, God, by your Holy Spirit, you can this morning, through the revelation of your word, minister to our hearts, reach into our lives. God, give us the hope and the encouragement and the strength that we need, God, to live this life that you've given us in these last days. Father, we know that you're coming soon. We know and believe that we are living in the end times, God. But you have a design. You've called us for such a time as this. You've given us your Holy Spirit. You've given us your Word. Father, you've called us to stand and to pray, to put on the full armor of God so that we might be mightily used by you. I pray, God, that we would be found as whole people in you. That we would understand that there's nothing lacking, that you're our all in all. And that anything that we need, anything that we're lacking, we can come and freely receive from you. So I pray, God, for any person here this morning who feels an emptiness, who feels a void in whatever area of their life, maybe just in their hearts, God, then they would come to you. Or any other area of their life, maybe it's their marriage, maybe it's with their kids, maybe it's with their ministry or, or with their work, if there's, a, if there's a sense of loss, a sense of grief, a, 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 grief, a sense of, a, 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 of longing for something more, Father, I pray that they would come to you and that you would provide every one of their needs. Father, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. All right, I find it very interesting and I hope you do too, that, that, that God, I find it interesting on, in, in, in the way or how God chose to reveal to Adam the fact that he had a need. And when I begin to look upon my own life and look back upon my life, I, I see that God does this for me also in very interesting ways. That I don't, so even, sometimes I don't even realize what I need until God exposes it for me. So often we go through life thinking, wow, it's all great. And God reveals to us that there's something that's lacking. And he does that in a variety of ways. And, 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 and as Adam was, was, was being called to do this, we see that God brought all the animals he had created before Adam in order that he might name them, right? 
And it was through this process of naming the animals that God revealed to Adam how there was nothing else like him in all of creation. And what does that mean? That's, that's, that, 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 that takes us through a, 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 a whole realm of things as we look back upon what we've studied and how God created man. Because there was none like Adam, obviously, physically, right? He didn't look like a fish. He didn't look like a bird. There was obvious physical differences. Man has significant things. If you look through the rest of that video that, that we looked at last week and got to the creation part of man, there's very many physiological differences in man that sets him apart from every other created thing. There was none like Adam physically, but more importantly, none like him who had or possessed his ability to relate to God on a physical emotional, and spiritual level. Adam had fellowship with God, communion with God. You know what? The fish of the sea didn't care. The birds in the air that Adam was observing, they didn't care. They didn't walk with God in the garden. They didn't have communion with God, fellowship with God. There was something different about Adam that set him apart. There was none like him. He was alone. You see, none like him, ultimately, who had been created in the very image of God. So through this process of naming the animals, Adam became aware. Adam became aware of the fact that he was alone. We don't know how much time passed between the creation of all things and and when God created the woman. And if I know most men, how we are like um, we're we're prob- probably not very observant to a lot of things, and so it could have been hundreds of years. Adam just thinking, ah. and one day God says, "It's not good." Adam doesn't even know he's alone. <laughs> Adam's all, it's all good, and God's going, "It's not good." But God wanted to open Adam's understanding. He wanted to enlighten him and give him revelation. And so this process, through this process of naming animals, Adam became aware of the fact that he was alone. He became aware of the fact that all living things had a helper that was comparable to them. But he did not. And in light of this, God was opening Adam's eyes to see that he was in need. Right? That's what it was. He was revealing to Adam that he had a need. And to understand, not only that, not only to, re- to see that he had a need, but God was also going through this process to help Adam understand that God alone, that he alone was the one who could and would provide for all of his needs. Now, one of the ways that, by, that the Bible illustrates This attribute of God is with a title or by a title, wherein as God is given the name Jehovah Jireh. You guys have probably heard that before. And that that literally means the Lord will provide. When you say Jehovah, Yahweh, God, the Lord will provide, Jehovah Jireh, you're acknowledging that attribute of God. And the cool thing about this name is that it's first found or it's first revealed to us in Genesis chapter two. Uh, 22 verse 14 and in that chapter we know that God had called Abraham to take his son Isaac up upon this mountain with some sticks on Isaac's back in order that Abraham might 
sacrifice his son Isaac upon an altar to God. That's what God said. This is what I want you to do. And we know that, that God was testing Abraham to see if he would put his son, his firstborn son, above God. And Abraham was obedient. And in his obedience, we know that God provided a ram as a sacrifice in place of the firstborn son, Isaac. And because of that, Abraham named this mountain where all this event took place with the, with the, with the title of Jehovah-Jireh, calling the mountain the place or, or, or literally the Lord will provide. Now, when God provided for Adam's needs here, of a helper comparable to him, we read that he caused Adam to go to sleep. And he took a rib, we're told, from Adam's side. And from that rib, he formed or created woman and then brought her to Adam. I've heard it said that God made man first and then he made woman because you always make the rough draft before you make the final masterpiece. (laughs) I've also heard it said that God made woman from the rib that he took from the side of the man in order that she might be his equal. From under his arm to be protected and next to his heart to be loved. Not from his feet to be walked on or from his head to be his superior. And even though these statements truly reveal some biblical truths, the bottom line to all of this event and all of these things is that when God provided a helper comparable to him, God was demonstrating or revealing the fact that he alone is able to provide for man's needs. And the realization of this fact that we are in need of God to provide is really a key aspect of our relationship to God in our relationship with Him. And you know what? I'm here to tell you, in a world that we live in today that tells us that we need to be independent, right? That tells us that we need to be self-reliant. It's hard for many people to get to the place and remain in the place where they realize that they have a need to be completely dependent upon God. Our whole society is contrary to that. And the fact of the matter is, is that our Christian walk often suffers because we too lose, this, lose sight of this aspect. We lose sight of this understanding. And in doing so, we try to meet our own needs. And in doing so, we do not come to God or we do not trust in Him or in the fact that He can and provide for us in every single way. And you know what? When this happens, we set out to provide for ourselves. And we end up in a place that's not good for us or with things that are not a blessing. I'm sure you've all experienced that where you thought you had a need or you, maybe you did have a need, a genuine need. It was revealed to you. And then and, and, and rather going to God, you went ahead and sought to fulfill that need on your own. And the next thing you know, you have an Ishmael. And there's no getting rid of it. Remember, in Matthew chapter 6, verses 28 through 34, it says, So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil 
nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothed the grass of the field which is today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear for all these things the Gentiles seek after. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all of these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. That's, I really believe that God just told me that's a specific word for someone today who's right now thinking about tomorrow. It's worrying about something coming up tomorrow. I don't know what that is, but that, take that as a word for you. Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And God wants you to know that He knows your need, He knows your problem, and He's already got it taken care of. Seek Him. See, imagine and think about it like this. Imagine if Adam, okay, after naming all the animals and having this realization that there was no helper comparable to him, that imagine if he then went out and tried to meet his own need. And he said, you know what? I like the color of the giraffe. I think I'm going to go marry a giraffe. Because I have a need. You see, not only would have this been so much less than what God had for Adam, we laugh and we chuckle because we know it would have been foolish. But is that not what goes on today? I mean, the big picture of it is true, but if you look at the, specific of this, the specificness of this in relationship to, to marriage and man and woman, you know, we see the mistake that's going on in our culture and our society today as men and women are turning to people of the same sex and entering the same sex relationships going, I need a helper, I have a need, and they go and figure it out in a way that seems right to them. And it's so much less than what God has for them. You see, the same is true for us. In any aspect of our life, when we part from God's authority and we part from God's provision in our lives and attempt to meet our own needs, it's foolishness. It's one of the reasons why even as leaders of the church and having Ty come up and pray about this, we see a need in our community, right? But if we just sought to provide for that need in our own understanding, in our own wisdom, it would be foolish if we didn't seek God and wait on Him to open the doors. You know, we might be able to go out in our own strength, in our own flesh, and do a work. But it wouldn't endure, and it would not have eternal ramifications because it would be a work that would be done in our own provision, in our own strength, in our own flesh, and it would not be a God thing. It would be an us thing. We don't want that. We want to go and do this under the leadership and the direction and the wisdom of God because He is the provider. And anything else than what He has for us in our time of need is foolishness and it's so much less than what God has waiting for us. 
You see, the bottom line is, is God is Jehovah Jireh. God is the Lord, our provider. And as the creator of all things, you know what? We can trust in the fact that he will meet all of our needs. If he's the creator of all things, then it reasons to conclude that he can provide for all of our needs. The physical, the emotional, and the spiritual. And Scripture tells us that God is our all-in-all. Book of Colossians. Go read it. That's basically what the whole book is about. And, 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 and when we experience God's perfect provision, our worship of God and our fellowship with God must and it will be our response. Now, as we've been going through chapter 2 as a, as a total um, study, we've been focusing on the relationship that we, the creation, have been called into with God, our Creator, Right? Many different aspects of that relationship. But also in doing so, we've seen that man has been given a free will. He's been given free will. We've been given free will. And in addition to the, 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 the free will that we've been given, we've also, also been given something that nothing else in creation has been given, and that's a sense of morality, right? The knowledge of good and evil. And we've been given these things so that we can freely choose to either worship and be, stained by, and be sustained by God, or that we could freely choose to reject God and to reject His will for our lives. Those two things working in conjunction ultimately for that decision, individually, personally, daily. And in light of this, one thing we need to understand as we now move or transition into chapter 3 and read about the fall of mankind is that, keep this, this in mind, God is not the author of sin. So many people look at the evil in the world and the sin of the world and they go, if God's a loving God, why did he allow for this? As if he's some kind of author of sin, creator of sin. He is not. Nor does God tempt us to sin. Rather, this is the work of the devil. And remember, in James chapter 1, verse 13, it says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. So in light of what we read here in chapter 3 in just a few minutes, we see, or we're going to see, is that from the very beginning, Genesis being a book of beginnings that accounts the beginning of many, many things, we see from the very beginning that man has had an enemy. Actually, the, the better word to use there is the plural form of that. Man has enemies. And in this chapter, we're introduced to these enemies. And, and yeah, the obvious, first there's Satan, who is seeking to destroy us, seeking to devour every person he can. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8 warns about this, say, saying, telling us, says, be sober, be alert, be awake, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But there is also a second adversary, another enemy, and some would say, and I would probably agree with this, uh, that, that there's even a greater adversary, this enemy we have, the second enemy than the devil. Second enemy that we must be aware of, a greater enemy that we need to be aware of, and you know what that is? That's our heart. Which the Bible makes very clear in telling us that it is a wicked and deceitful thing, that sin nature, our heart. And the prophet Jeremiah points this out in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, saying, The heart 
It is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I kind of chuckle when people say, oh, I'm just going to follow my heart. I'm like, oh, see how well that works out for you. I'm going to do what my heart says. <laughs> and even Jesus, he spoke about the heart of the man. And he said in Matthew chapter 15, verse 19, he said, For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, and blasphemies. Now the point in all this, as I point this out to you, is that if, if Satan is unable to destroy us, like a devouring lion, like a devouring lion, you know what? He will then appeal to the wickedness in our heart in an attempt to draw us away from a God, in an attempt to draw us away from God's will for our lives, in an attempt to draw us away from fellowship with God. And he'll do so through the lies and deceptions. And this is what's exampled to us in chapter 3, as we see how Satan came to Eve and he deceived her into disobeying God. But I want to point out that even though you and I, even though we may be attacked by an enemy who is seeking to destroy us by partnering with our wickedness or the wickedness in our heart, you need to understand that part of the message is that there's hope for us. There's hope for us. And this hope is found in James chapter 4, verses 7 through 10, which says this. It says, therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your heart, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep, and let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into gloom. Now, that's not that saying that God wants you to go... He means don't rejoice over your sin. Don't rejoice over your wickedness. Repent. Lament. Mourn over that. Don't be joyful over those things. And he says this, ultimately, humble yourselves in the light of, in the, light of the Lord, and he will lift you up. And in this passage of Scripture, James tells us that in order, listen, that in order to defeat the enemy, in order to defeat Satan, we first must resist him. We must draw near to God. However, this requires us to humble ourselves before God, which begins by submitting, by submitting to God's perfect will and acknowledging that he is the only one who can protect us. He is the only one who can provide for us. He's the only one who can sustain us. See, the, the, the totality of Satan's lies and deceptions fall within one of those three categories if you really begin to think about it. And in addition to this, listen, David, he writes and he says in Psalm 119, verse 11, he said, I've hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. The point is, God's word is truth, right? It is. God's word is the truth. It's truth. And when we put truth into our hearts, it protects us from Satan's lies, from Satan's attacks, from Satan's deceptions. But even this requires us to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord. And as we do this, we must keep in mind that even though Satan is in opposition to God, guys, he's not God's equal. He's not God's equal. He's a created being, and the only power he has is what's been given to him by God. And it's limited, and it's for a time. But remember, Satan is only one of the enemies we have. And James knew that even if we were not being tempted by Satan, that we can and do choose to oppose God. And Satan has nothing to do with it. 
I think often we give him way more credit than he deserves. Oh, the devil made me do it. No, your wicked heart. (laughs) My wicked heart. And this is why James tells us to resist and flee the devil, but he also tells us to what? Cleanse our hands and purify our hearts. And the fact of the matter is the only true hope for the purification of our heart is found in a relationship with Jesus, the only begotten Son of God. Because He promises to give us a what? A new heart. When we put our faith in Him. So in chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now the serpent... He was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he had said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in that day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So, verse 6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eye, and the tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate. And she also gave it to her husband, and he ate also. As we begin to make our way through these verses, I want to point out that Satan only has a few tricks. Satan's got a bag. I pick, this is how I picture him. I picture him, and he's got this like bag on his side, and in his bag he's got tricks, right? A bag of tricks. He's only got a few tricks in these bags, in this bag, guys. But he uses all of them very well. And the, and the tactics the tactics that he used against Eve in the garden all those years ago, they're the same ones that he's using today. Tactics that he uses against us. You know, I point that out because it's important for us to understand this as it helps us with the warning that we read previously given by Peter to be sober and to be alert. For those times when Satan comes and when he tempts us. Now, Think about it. I was thinking about what's a temptation? I mean, there's, very, there's many different kinds of temptation, but at the root, how do you define a temptation? You know what? As I began to think about it, I, I came to this conclusion. A temptation is simply an opportunity to accomplish a good thing in a bad way. A temptation is the opportunity to accomplish a good thing in a bad way. This is what I mean. For example, it's a good thing to pass a test right at school, but it's a bad thing to do it by cheating. Likewise, we, know, we all know that it's a good thing to pay our bills, but it's a bad thing to steal the money to make the payments. And in light of this, when we consider Satan coming to tempt Eve... We see that he was simply saying to her, listen, this is what he was saying to her. I can give you something that you need. Underneath God being a provider banner, right? He's saying, I can give you something that you need and something that you want. Not only that, he was saying, and you can have it now and you can enjoy it. And best of all, there won't be any painful consequences. And of course, these words were lies, but in order to trick Eve, in order 
to get her to enter into the temptation, Satan, what we see here is he's employed three specific tactics in his bag of tricks. And from what we read here in verse 1, if you look there, we see that the very first tactic that he used was to disguise himself. And he did so in order to hide his true character, his true motive, his true intent. And keep in mind that Satan isn't the originator of anything. He's not. He is, however, a clever imitator. And according to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, he can even masquerade as an angel of light. And when Satan came into the garden, we see here that he used the body of a serpent, one of the creatures that God, after he had created all creatures, he said, it is good. And when the serpent came to Eve, she didn't even seem to be disturbed by its presence or by its speech. So I think we could assume then that she saw nothing threatening about this encounter. You know, the point is is that Satan still works today as a great impersonator, disguising what is evil with the appearance of good. So that we lower our guard guard and, and that we can be then tempted into the place of temptation. You're not sober. You're not alert if your guard's not up. And so Satan comes with the evil thing and he presents it as good. So that you go, oh, no big deal. And even though we may never have a personal encounter with Satan, the truth is the act of disguising what is evil with an apparent of, with this appearance of good is something that um, it's something that we are all confronted with on a daily basis. Turn on the TV, turn on the radio, look at the billboards, go into the grocery store. You know, I see cupcakes; they look good. They're not. They will make you fat. I know. It's a deception. It's a temptation. And we're confronted with these things. I make light of that to to make a joke, but the truth is, is think about that. In addition to the tactic of disguising, we see here that there's a second tactic that Satan used when he tempted Eve, and it was to question God's word. He questioned God's word, saying to her in verse 1, Has God really said that you shall not eat of every tree in the garden? That mean God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, listen. I love the, I love the word of God because you, you, I don't have to give you my opinion. I just have to take you to the word of God where it talks about these things and, and it makes the points for us. In context. And when you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, the Apostle Paul, he was writing to the church in Corinth, and he was recalling Satan's deception of Eve that we're reading about here. And, 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 and he was doing this in order to warn them, the Corinthians. And, and in his warning and referencing this, Paul made it very clear that Satan's target was Eve's mind. And that his weapon against her mind, against her thoughts, against what she knew to be true was a deception. So by questioning what God said, Satan was able to raise doubts in Eve's mind concerning the truthfulness of God's word and the goodness of God's heart. So when Satan said, do you really mean... So when Satan said... 
Do you really mean that you can't eat from every tree? He was in a subtle way introducing the idea of if God really loved you, he would be much more generous. He's holding out on you. Isn't that the lie that the saints still God doesn't want you to have that because, because he, does, he, he doesn't want you to have any fun. He doesn't really love you. He's holding back a good thing from you. Same trick, same lie, same deception. And the point is, is that Satan wanted Eve to forget that God had told Adam, who had told her, that they could eat freely of all of the trees of the garden except for one. Not only that, but for their own good, there was a restriction put on this one. The one that they could not eat from, it was the forbidden tree in the middle of the garden. Yet Eve's response to Satan, Satan's question, it reveals the fact that she was following Satan's example. Because she too then followed his example and altered the word of God. She was heading down the path of temptation. Why? Because her heart was wicked. She wanted to eat from that tree. Obviously, it must be good. See, Satan was already partnering with things here. Look, when we compare chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, back with chapter 2, verses 16 through 17, you'll see that she admitted a word in her response. It was the word freely. And she added the word or the phrase, nor shall you touch it. God never said she couldn't touch the tree. She just couldn't eat from it. She was adding to God's word. And she failed to say that God commanded them to obey him. Furthermore, she said, lest you die, which is stating a possibility, right? Did God say, lest you will die? Like there's a, if you eat from the tree, there's a possibility that you're going to die. If you, if you do these sinful things, there's a possibility that it's going to get you. No, it's, it's she, she was implying a possibility when she, said, when she said, lest you die, because what God had said, he said, you will surely die on that day. It's an absolute that God was speaking in other words, Eve took from the words of God, or, or took from God's word, and she added to God's word, and she even changed God's word, and in doing so, she, she, she was starting to doubt the goodness and the faithfulness of God, the truthfulness of God. And we should be sitting here going, yep, I understand, I get it, I've done that, I do that. We all, in some form or fashion, go through this when we begin to rationalize and just, justify what we know to be true. The bottom line is, guys, Satan will attack your mind. He'll attack our minds in an attempt to bring doubt. In an attempt to bring doubt to the things that we know are true. And this is exactly what he was doing with Eve. And he challenged the truth with a lie in an attempt to breed doubt, saying in verse 1, Has God really said? And these words reveal to us the saying, He's a deceiver. And Scripture tells us that He's the Father of all lies, and His desire is to get us to doubt God's Word and the things that we know to be true. Now, doubt is something, it's, 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 when we think about doubt, it's, it's something that all of us have to deal with, right? Anybody here never doubted? How about doubted God or doubted God's Word? I think we all 
have had moments and times of doubt. And doubt is something that we all deal with, but if it's not dealt with in a godly way, you know what? It can be like in this instance, a poisonous seed that will take a root in our heart and in our mind and lead us down that path that leads to destruction. But the best way to overcome doubt, you want to know the best way to overcome doubt? Is to know what is true. To know the truth. And to dwell upon the truth, to meditate upon the truth, to dwell and meditate upon the things that you already know to be true when the doubts come in. Doubts come in and you know their doubts and you'll know that is not true. This is the truth and that's what you meditate on. That's what you tell your heart. You see, anything else will open a door of communication with the adversary, with the enemy, whether it's your heart or Satan. And it leads us down that path of temptation. Be reminded of Philippians 4, guys, verses 4 through 8, where Paul says, Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing. Where does anxiety come from? Lots of times. Doubt. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Why? Because He's the, he's the provider. And in doing so, it says, the peace of God which surpasses the understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Seems simple enough, doesn't it? But Paul goes on, he says, finally, brethren, he says, whatever things are true, Whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there's any virtue and if there's any praiseworthy things, meditate on these things. Cast out those doubts with, the, with meditations of the truth. One of the best ways to med- meditate on the truth in a practical way is to read this. Another way is to turn on praise music, which tells you about the nature of God, the person of God, your favorite worship song. There's practical ways of doing this in these times. And the fact of the matter is, listen, guys, as long as our thoughts hold to God's truth, you want to know what? Satan can't win. As long as your thoughts hold to God's truth, Satan cannot win. He can't lead you into temptation. But this does not mean that Satan will simply run away with his tail between his legs. Oh, they, they, they got me now. He doesn't give up that easy. He will seek to employ other tactics like he did here with Eve. And in verse 4, we read that Satan moved from questioning the truth of God, of what God had said to flout, out, denying what God had, had said, saying, you surely won't die. And this was in direct contradiction to what God had said back in chapter 2, verse 17. And and at this point, you know what? Eve should have reminded herself of God's word, believed it, and left the serpent and went and found her husband. But she remained. Here's the warning. Be sober, be warned, be alert. Here's the warning. What did she do? She stayed. You surely won't die. You don't know what you're talking about. She should have left. Where was she at, by the way? She was at the tree. What are you doing at the tree, guys? What are we doing at the tree? 
But even if we find ourselves there, not all is lost, you still can leave that place of temptation. But Eve should remain. Not only should she remain, she lingered in the place of temptation. And every time we linger at the place of temptation, you know what's going to happen? It's profound. You're going to get in trouble. Especially when we know that, that um, what we are thinking is contrary to God's truth. Now, in addition to being... Um, now, in addition to contradicting what God said in verse 5, we see that Satan also substituted his own lie. So there's a questioning, there's a denial, there's these lies. And Satan said, what did he say to her? You will not die, but she also said in verse 5, you will be like God. You know what? That seems like a far-out thing to even be spoken or to believe, be believed, but that's the lie. That is the lie. You will be like God. And sadly, this is a promise that would get anyone's attention. And this lie has been the rallying cry of those who reject the truth of God's Word since the beginning of time, even in today, whether they espouse godless humanism, materialism, or the so-called New Age religion. It's all the same. You will be a God. You can be like God. That's the lie. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 32. It, it, it describes for us, I'm not going to read it to you, but it describes for us the totality of the Gentile civilization, civilization from the time of Cain up until now and how they've rejected the truth of God, Paul writes, and they've turned to the foolishness and they turned to lies. And in verse 25, Paul says that they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. And speaking about Satan, Jesus said, for he is a liar and he is the father of it. And in John chapter 8, verse 44 is where he said this. And we know that in defiance of God's humans have exchanged, Jesus said, God's truth for quote unquote, the lie. Singular is what Jesus says there. And they follow Satan, he says, who is the, follow, the father of it. The father of what? The father of the lie. What's the lie? You will be like God. This lie is what's ruled civilization since the fall of man. It's the belief that men and women can be their own God and live for the creation and not for the creator and not suffer any consequences. And by believing this, they refuse. We refuse to submit to the truth of God and we prefer to believe Satan's lies and we follow his plan for our destruction. And in doing so, people who follow this lie... They don't even realize that Satan's their master and that the lake of fire is their destiny. If the worship team wants to come up, we're going to end with this. <clears throat> when we look back and we review the whole sequence of, of what we've been reading here, I think we can better understand how Satan leads people to the place of disobedience. How Satan's led us at times to the place of disobedience. And we study through this so that we might be sober, that we might be aware, vigilant, and see, once we start to question God's word, you know what? We are preparing ourselves to deny God's word and believe Satan's lies. 
And then it's just a short step to believing Satan's promises and disobeying God's commands. You see, when Jesus was tempted in the, in the wilderness, guys, in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, go and read that. When he was tempted in the wilderness by Satan, he answered Satan's lies with God's truth. And three times you read in there that Jesus said what? It is written. And Satan, who wants to deceive our minds, he does, but we can defeat him by using the spiritual weapons that God provides for us. The truth is, guys, this is the truth. God will not hold any good thing back from us. However, we see that this thought somehow found its way into Eve's heart, right? And it was enough to cause Eve to look upon the tree as she had never done before. Guys, we must take care to keep our eyes fixed upon God. To flee the enemy. To resist. To put the truth inside. Because we live in a wicked world in a dark time. And we need to guard our hearts and we need to, to steal ourselves in these times so we continue to be the lights and to be protected from the temptations that come. Father, thank you for this time together, Lord. We thank you for the truth of your word. I pray, God, that we would be better equipped as a congregation to stand as lights for you, to resist the evil one, to draw near to you, God, but to more so see truly who you are and your great love for us and to never doubt that and exchange it for something that's so much less. God, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys, why don't you